Um, I'm, I'd like to start by saying thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to speak here. Um, I really appreciate the invitation. But I also want to start by, by saying something about the direction from which I come and that I would, I'm going to be asking you to do some of the work here in the next half hour. Um, and I probably will take half an hour, so we might be slightly late for coffee <laughs> since we're running late. We'll see. Because what I'd like to do here is, is acknowledge that I am coming from a very different place from a, an assembly of those who study Ibn Arabi. Um, I'm doing a PhD in the counselling and psychotherapy department in the University of Edinburgh. So my background and the audience for my PhD are, is the psychotherapeutic community. So what I'd like to do today is spend most of my time introducing what I know of as the person-centred approach. I've entitled the talk, and I'm, I'm very delighted to be following Wahid, because I think we're moving from knowledge to practice here, and yet they're not separate. Um, the title of, of today's talk that I'm giving is Self-Knowledge in the Practice of the Person-Centred Approach. What I'd like to do, given that time is quite short, is I'm going to go quite fast through the connections and the correlation with Ibn Arabi, because I think many of you will be able to draw that out. But what I would like to spend the time doing is introducing the person-centred approach. And first of all, the two quotes that I've put here say something about what I'm hoping to draw out. Um, Carl Rogers was the person who began what came to be known as person-centred therapy and the person-centred approach. And a quote from him is that what is most personal is most general. And I think that's the direction I'm coming from today. And I put a quote there from Ibn Arabi who could say both. He would say from the particular to the general and the general to the particular. But just to contrast them, I've put he who is universal is particular as a quote from Ibn Arabi. Oh, what am I doing? Going the wrong direction. That just summarises what I'm hoping to do in this next few minutes. I want to introduce the very particular reality of the person-centred approach because often I hear talk of links between, for example, the, the, the Ibn Arabi's um, unity of existence and psychotherapy. And I want to make it clear that there are various traditions within psychotherapy, and I'm talking about one in particular. I also want to say that I'm talking about the person-centred approach and not just therapy. There's something very specific about therapeutic practice between two people. The person-centred approach is something that grew out of person-centred therapy into being a much wider understanding of what can happen in relationships between people. I want to talk about the practice of relating rather than the theory, although the theory will help me talk about that. And what my focus is on what that means for self-knowledge. I'll make some connections with Ibn Arabi, but I'm expecting you to be able to do that better than I can. But finally, I want to make some um, connections with what current context exists for me to be making this claim that there is a definite connection between the person-centred approach and the metaphysics of unity of Ibn Arabi. What does that mean for me to say that now? So I hope to come on to that at the end. The particular reality of the person-centred approach, it's often described as the third force in psychology, which developed over the 20th century, beginning with psychoanalysis and Freud, moving into behavioralism, and then, round about the time post-World War II, you got a move into 
the humanistic approach to psychology, or Carl Rogers was a major figure in that, but you could also identify Fritz Perls and many of the other thinkers about human potential. <laughs> Very different basis for psychology. It's based on a belief in the actualising tendency. That's the, the term that Carl Rogers uses. Um, I've got a couple of quotes that I'm going to read as I go along, and I actually have these quotes typed out for you to take away as a handout at the end. So Carl Rogers on the actualising tendency. He talks about the actualising tendency and the formative tendency as the foundation blocks of the person-centred approach. The behaviours of an organism can be counted on to be in the direction of maintaining, enhancing and reproducing itself. No matter how bizarre and futile the results may seem, they are life's desperate attempt to become itself. Following from that belief in the actualising tendency, the trustworthy nature of life trying to become itself, a particular quality of relation is seen to release that growth and growthful tendency. Again, a quote from Rogers. Individuals have within themselves vast resources for self-understanding and for altering their self-concepts, their basic attitudes and their self-directed behaviour. These resources can be tapped if a definable climate of facilitative psychological attitudes can be provided. When we provide a psychological climate that permits persons to be, we are tuning into a potent creative tendency which has formed our universe and perhaps we are touching the cutting edge of our ability to transcend ourselves. That's a quote from Carl Rogers. The conditions characterising this kind of relational contact are often summarised under three headings, congruence, empathy and unconditional positive regard. I want to say something about each of them. <coughs> congruence implies that experiencing is in awareness and can be lived in the relationship and expressed when appropriate. Empathy involves sensing the feelings and personal meanings of the other and being able to reflect these back. This kind, this is a quote, this kind of sensitive, active listening is exceedingly rare in our lives. We think we listen, but very rarely do we listen with real understanding, true empathy. Yet, listening of this very special kind is one of the most potent forces for change that I know. That's a quote from Rogers. And I would like to point out that that kind of listening implies acceptance and unconditional positive regard, which is the third characteristic here of this relationship. And unconditional positive regard should not be confused with approval or agreement. It is simply a willingness for the other to be whatever they are at that moment. It's about witnessing and accepting what is. And we can see that in relational terms towards the other, but it is also implied that I hold that attitude towards myself in the relationship. So fundamentally, the person-centred approach is based on 
Conditionality being seen as what constrains and unconditionality liberates. The person-centred approach is often called light on theory. Compared to the psychoanalytic and psychodynamic approach, it is. It doesn't have a lot to say about the content of what it is to be human. It focuses on process rather than content. For example, um, sorry, it does, however, identify that discomfort, fear and anxiety arise from conditionality and defendedness. And then we close down to experience. And that often is the case in, in people who are distressed or struggling in life. Unconditionality can relax that fear and open us to experience. That unconditionality is curative, is the basis of the person-centred approach. Person-centred practice. I really want to emphasise that the... the um, rhetoric of the person-centred approach is about relationship, really. Um, it's a focus on relationship. It is not about diagnosis and cure. It's about the quality of a relationship that accepts what is and finds that that is transforming. The position of the therapist is that I am not an expert. It's not about what I do. It's, on, it's about who I am in that relationship. It involves trust in the process and trust in the actualizing tendency, which means that I trust whatever is unfolding. And what it asks me to do is offer open, receptive attention to both the self and other. And of course, while I was thinking about this talk this morning, I'm making connections with a lot of what was talked about yesterday as the day unfolded. I'm thinking of the mindfulness talk that Alison did and here we're talking about many of the same qualities in relationship. I'd like to here have another quote from Carl Rogers about awareness. Awareness is the ability to focus conscious attention, which is a tiny peak of awareness of symbolizing capacity, topping a vast pyramid of non-conscious organismic functioning. The very tip of the fountain is intermittently illuminated with the flickering light of consciousness. But the constant flow of life goes on in the darkness as well. In psychotherapy, we have learned something about the psychological conditions that are most conducive to increasing this highly important self-awareness. That's a quote from Rogers, 1980. I've put down the bottom there that um, right at the beginning I, I had something that I didn't point out, that I'm talking here from experience and my PhD is being written from the point of view of experience. And here I'm saying it's my experience in therapy that has demonstrated to me that this process works. And often what I notice in training and in training therapists in the person-centred approach is that the theory only becomes integrated when the person experiences its power to transform. And what I would say is that this practice transforms not just the client but the therapist too. It's a mutual exchange. There's an inner integration of the core conditions as well as an expression of them in relationship. I just want to move on to the understanding of the self because my, my talk is titled Self-Knowledge in the practice of the person-centred approach. 
there is a whole cell theory that Carl Rogers came up with that underpins the person-centred approach. But I would also say that he was very much supportive of what he would call an internal locus of evaluation. Don't follow what he said. Make this your own. That's what he would see about the place of theory. And so, for example... Um, one of the charges on person, the person-centred approach is that it comes from a very individualistic, atomistic view of the self. I think that's where it started in the 1940s and 50s. Post-World War II, there was a move then away from or a distrust of collective action because of what had happened in World War II into let's see if we can step back into being individuals. I think the understanding of the self in the early 21st century, where I would come from, is much more relational and intersubjective. Um, oh gosh, that's exactly what I should have been saying. I'm just realising I'm on my notes. Um, so the self is seen as a part of what I know or have, have aware to myself about my own concept of myself, which emerges out of a much larger process, which is called organismic experience. The self that I know is a conditioned self. And again, I think there's a huge overlap with Ibn Arabi here about conditioning and the role of conditioning. From the point of view of psychotherapy and the person-centred approach... We can talk about conditioning as something that happens in our early formative experiences, in our family of origin, for example. It also happens in our social and cultural situation. I am a, a female Scot brought up in the Church of Scotland, born in, in the west of Scotland, etc. I'm culturally positioned. But I'm also embodied and, and there's something here about the constant referral of, of Rogers to experiencing being visceral. There is no view from nowhere. And I think enlightenment perce perceptions of knowledge are often asking us to look at knowledge as in an absolute way. But the person-centred approach very much fits with epistemologies that say we are inescapably situated and conditioned. But our conditioning can move from being very constraining to being more open. Experience is a moment-to-moment -moment phenomenological process which is physical. And I want to say something about the more open I can be to that process... Carl Rogers describes this as being a fully functioning person. Now, what does that mean? Um, he would say that the more open I can be to my experience, the more fully functioning I am. And I, I would like to say that this is a moment-to-moment -moment process itself. I can be in my closed, reactive self one moment and then find myself in a much more open state the next moment. What he said about fully functioning persons are they are not adjusted or fulfilled or actualized. <coughs> They're not in a fixed state. Rather, they have an increasing openness to experience. They live fully in each moment. They are soundly and realistically social and are not necessarily adjusted to their culture. What I would say is that self-awareness and self-acceptance are crucial to self-knowledge. The priority in the person-centred approach is acceptance of what is. That is what transforms. 
And, of course, the point that I would make about it, because this is where I come from, is that this is deeply relational. It's between people. But I also think when I say it flows both ways, I've mentioned this before, as I, tr as I train as a therapist to bring myself into relationship with people in this way, I become more accepting to the other. And as I work with somebody, for example, in a therapeutic situation in this way, they become more open to their own self-acceptance and to the acceptance of others too. It's a two-way process. And I want to finish this section on... on um, Rogers, with a couple of quotes, he often used to quote Kierkegaard, saying, to, the aim is to be that self which one truly is. And he also said, what I am is good enough if I can just be it. There's something profoundly paradoxical that people who come to therapy wanting to change can get an idea of needing to be different. And it's not about needing to be different, it's about needing to be who they are but the constraint can cause the distress. So the implications for self-knowledge. Becoming aware of my conditions eases my constraint. I am in my frame of reference. I am inescapably situated. But I can notice the difference in myself between reacting and responding, for example. If I'm reacting, there's usually a lot more heat around. But if I'm responding, I can bring myself, still in my dotness, to the other. And it's a moving process. I can be open one moment and close the other. I am also brought into being by the other person. This is where the intersubjectivity comes, comes. My example of this is it just happens that when I was in practice, I started with two new clients in the same week. And I had supervision later that week. In practice in Britain, one has supervision on a regular basis. And what was, I was struck by is that these were two new people who I'd never met before, and I was struck by how different I was with each of them. And it was only as I got to know them in our relationship that I realised what was going on. But with the first person who came in, I could barely breathe. I thought if I, if I exhaled too powerfully, I would blow them away. Because there was, as I came to understand it, there was such a delicate thread connecting that person to their own experience that the main thing was for not to get in the way. With the other person that came to see me that week, I found myself in a relationship like that from the word go. Where are you? What are you going to do? Can I trust you? And I had to be absolutely robust in my seat and willing to show up and say what was going on for me. And I went to supervision and went, what on earth? What's that about? But for ex it's become a really important example to me that I am brought into being by the other. I didn't know what was going on until much later in these relationships. But I knew in the moment what was required in that relationship. The other two points are self-explanatory. Centeredness supports acceptance and self-acceptance tolerates not knowing. So it's pretty clear that I come out of an interpersonal focus. The person-centered approach grew out of relationships. It then developed in other modes of relating. In groups, large groups, education, conflict resolution, parenting, organizational cultures. It attracts people drawn to intense relating, like me, and uh, it can lead to imbalance. And I would say that the imbalance is not just... Why are we laughing? 
Sorry? Well, exactly, that's my point. I, I got very imbalanced towards interpersonal relating. And what I needed was something that would get me back into balance. And I think my imbalance took me to Bishara. And it's, this is what I mean by this. Um, I think there's an imbalance not just in the kind of person uh, um, drawn to therapeutic practice, but there's an imbalance when that practice becomes professionalised. I made my living, I have made my living for years out of being relational, and it actually demands something which is about the intrapersonal. So for me, and here we have the cross symbol again, the horizontal and vertical, I was out of balance in terms of my, my service, my development in the world. But with values that when I went to Bashara, I absolutely recognised when I was studying Ibn Arabi. Now, what I'm interested in here is that I had two responses when I went to... I studied at Chisholm House and I lived there for about a year. My two responses are different. The first was, I'm starving for what's on offer here. So I was meeting something different. And I think what I was meeting was that invitation to come inside. But I also, all the time, was thinking, this is the same matter as the person-centred approach. So there are differences and there are similarities. And I'm going to focus here on the similarities. And I'm going to go through this bit really quickly, because this is the bit that I think you'll all recognise. Um, of course, there's convergence with Ibn Arabi on whoever knows their self knows their Lord, withdraw yourself from in between. Again, I've got more quotes from Ibn Arabi and they're on the handout that I'll make available after I've finished. Um, I was a hidden treasure and I loved to be known, so I created the world. And every day I'm in a different configuration. So I'm picking up themes about the importance of awareness and I'm picking up the theme of process. And I'd like to locate Rogers in that wider realm of thinking about process because he, he also drew on philosophers like A.N. Whitehead. Process philosophy underpinned what he was saying. So we've got the actualizing tendency flowing and I need to open myself to it. Of course you'll recognize that. And there's also something really interesting about conditionality. I could, I could say a lot more about the place of conditionality, but um, we are invited to return divine revelation without form or weight, to walk on changing colour all the time, or um, the colour of water is the colour of its receptacle. There's a lot of interesting things there to be teased out about conditionality. I can't escape this place of imminence, but it can be closed or open to degrees. We're, we're in process. The most moving part of my studying when I was doing the six-month intense course at um, Bashara was particularly reading the chapter in the Fusus on Ishmael I, because it's about acceptance and it spoke right to what I'm familiar with. There exists nobody with whom his own Lord is not content. And other quotes on this, if a thing slipped a fraction from where its place is, the universe would be ruined from head to foot. There is no moving creature whom he does not take by the forelock. Indeed, my Lord is on the straight path. These things move me a lot. Um, when the fact... Oh, there's another quote, I can't speak. Sorry, I'll just have to take a moment. Because <laughs> um, I find this very 
important. I think I'll move on to the hood quotes. I used to cry all the way through Ishmael as well. <laughs> um, I think there's also something really important in this about diversity. It's very important in the person-centred approach. Carl Rogers' large groups on conflict resolution, he went to South Africa, he went to Israel and Palestine, he went to Russia. He sat saying, tell me your differences, because that's what will transform. It's really important to accept diversity. And of course, Hood, in the chapter from the Fasus, says this. He is limited with the limit of everything limited, and a thing is only limited with the limit of the real. So take care not to be tied to any particular belief while denying all others, else much good will escape you. In fact, knowledge of how things are will evade you. So be in yourself the substance of all forms of belief, for God is too vast and great to be confined to one belief rather than another. Reality is here now and nothing needs to be done. And it's like Carl Rogers saying, who I am is good enough if I can just be it. I'm going to very quickly um, pass over what is shared, because I think I've said it. Great. And I'm going to very quickly... Uh, I think there's loads to discuss here, but we've got a seminar this afternoon for those of you that are interested. Um, one point on there I'd like to say is very often the person-centred approach gets caricatured as being about people being good. It's not. It's about people being who they are. It's not about goodness. It's about reality. And it's about the practice of love. But I think it's interesting. How do I find a context for what I'm interested in here? And there is a possible context between a kind of secular religious discussion, given that I am a typical example of um, post-Christian moving away from my Church of Scotland roots when I was 18. But that's not actually what interests me. I think there um, is a context for this conversation that is very large. I think it's, it can... I'm just going to put the headings there, and again, we can talk about this more in the seminar. You can see roots of this move in continental philosophy from the 19th century through Heidegger. I've got quotes on all of these on the handout. Um, I think psychoanalytic theory is also very rich in terms of decentering the self. The self is a fiction. Um, Postmodern feminist theory often picks up on psychoanalytic theory, but it also has a very unique or new way of approaching epistemology because feminist theories of knowledge validate knowing through relationship and knowing through experience. There's also a very interesting strand from post-Christian feminist theology. And in fact, Daphne is who I'm staying with in Oxford this weekend, so I'm very interested in, in the connection with her. And postmodern theology, um, John Caputo's ideas are about a theology of the event. It is what's trying, the unconditional is what's trying to happen in the conditions where we find ourselves. But finally, I found a rich ground in Ian McGilchrist's book, the Master and His Emissary. I hope some of you have come across this. And he is trying to find a context for this, which is about the right and left brain and our capacities for attention. And a couple of quotes from um, McGilchrist. I've got one final go, go slide. Um, the kind of attention we pay actually alters the world. We are literally partners in creation. And 
that is a summary of what McGilchrist is saying about a shift in our mode of attending to the world from left to right hemisphere attention. All of us have that capacity to pay this kind of attention within us. We have overdeveloped our left brain, but we can reclaim our capacity for empathy, open patient attention, implicit or hidden nature of truth, process, the body, the place of the unique, and creativity as an unveiling, no-saying process rather than a willfully constructed process. We have time this afternoon for any of you that are interested to follow up on these ideas. And as I say, there's a handout here with quotes and some sources on it. And there's enough copies for everyone. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Dot. That was wonderful. Thank you. I'm sorry we had to...